0: Good morning, Connect community. Good morning, all our cable listeners and all those that are watching online. We welcome you to the continuation of our series, Jesus Is. Are you guys having a good time in this series still? Is everybody enjoying it? This is the longest series we have done in like, you know, half a decade. So, I don't know. It's just been one of those things we just can't, can't seem to leave. But this is the final installment of our series, Jesus Is, today. We're kind of a, a sub-series within a series. Uh, as we continue the study of Jesus is my righteousness. How many were here last week? Raise your hand good and high. Cool, cool. If you weren't, uh, I, uh, I don't usually say this, but I beg you <laughs> to get that CD because um, if you consider this your home church, this is what I would call like a DNA download. It's just one of those messages that will help you kind of understand, connect a little bit and what we believe a life-giving church should behave like and be like how to apply the things that we say we believe and espouse and put it in the context of relationships, how we treat people and how we view people who don't believe like us, how we you know, in- encounter people maybe who are in sin or even in our own sin, how we relate to each other within the body. It's so critical that you see uh, things right and see things through Jesus' eyes. And so it's just um, important for me as your pastor. By the way, I'm Pastor Derek. If you don't know who I am, can everybody say, what's up, PD? <laughs> So, uh, just um, as we go forward, why don't you get your Bibles out, or you can get your, your worship guide out, or you can follow along on UVersion. UVersion is this awesome free Bible app. Inside that Bible app, we have our entire worship guide. You can just hit free or hit events and uh, put up your zip code or church name. You'll see it pop up in there. You can email yourself notes and everything and start a Bible reading plan through that. It's phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Amen. Well, listen, here's what happened last week if you weren't here. And if you were here, I just want to rewind and kind of review a little bit. You know, um, one of the things that we're talking about in dealing with the sin of comparison is that, you know, if you fall into this trap, you will eventually fall into sin. If you fall into comparing yourselves with other people, the big idea is you'll eventually fall into sin, like uh, unimaginable sometimes, things you would never expect uh, places you never expect you'd be and things you never see, seemingly think you could do. But if you compare yourself to God, you can fall in love. So so all comparison is not bad. It's just simply where our focus is. And so we're learning to compare ourselves to God because if we compare ourselves to God, we're going to see there is a disparity, a contrast, a distance between his righteousness and our righteousness that is so far away. And when you realize how majestic, perfect, awesome, pure, holy he is and how we're not, and yet he decided to love us and demonstrate his love for us and come from his glory and bring some of that to us, it's the hidden motivator behind righteous behavior. In other words, right standing with God produces right behavior with others. Is everybody tracking with me? In other words, I I realize that I don't deserve what he's given me. As a result, what can I do for him? I want to give my life for him. I don't have to die on the cross, but I want to present my body a living sacrifice. I want it to be holy and acceptable. But it's only made holy and acceptable because of what he did for me. But as a result of what he did for me, I want to do that for other people. We love because he first loved us. That's how we do do it right. But when we do this, when our relationships have a horizontal focus exclusively, then we're going to have some problems. We're going to have some problems with people. We're going to have some problems with ourselves. And that's kind of what we're talking about today. I was uh, on a conversation recently with a uh, potential leadership position in the church and just kind of having a getting to know you type call. And this particular individual was basically saying with me, I'm really excited. I would love to participate in this, be involved in this, but there's something in my past that I'm concerned will disqualify me from this opportunity in the future. Does anybody relate to this person's plight? Right? So all this person could think about was, you know, kind of my sin or something in my past that, that uh, that you know, could come out and eventually it could, it could hurt the relationship or disqualify me from this opportunity or this situation. And... I remember going through this, and I'm I'm listening to this, and because at the moment, not always, of the healthy view that I have of God, and as a result of the view that I think he has of me, I'm listening, and I'm thinking, this person, you know, feels like um, I need to know this, but the truth is, they needed to tell me this. They needed to get something off of their chest. I don't care about the information, because as I'm talking to this person, I'm saying, hey, listen, I'm no better than you. You think I'm a 50, and you're a 500, But we're both 500s. Anybody remember the story we talked about last week between the Pharisee and the prostitute? The problem with the Pharisee was the Pharisee was trying to tell, thinking in his head, if Jesus knew the kind of woman that was in my house right now, I'm a 50, she's a 500, doesn't he, if he were a prophet, he would know. But Jesus was trying to answer Simon, the Pharisee's thoughts, and say, if you realize, Simon, the Pharisee, and the pharisaical attitude that you have, you need a pharisectomy. If you realize... If you realized that the pharisaical attitude that you had right now, that is what's keeping you from loving me as much as she does. Because you're a, you're a 500 just like she is. And so when this person's having this conversation with me, I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to listen, but at the same time, I'm trying to communicate. I, listen, the only difference between me and you is whatever that is in the past, you're telling me. Whatever that is in the past that may have come out into the public is no different from the private things that I wrestle with that nobody knows. I'm no different or better than you. It's only because of his righteousness that I'm qualified to do what I do. He, he makes me righteous, and he makes you righteous. He doesn't, he doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Amen. Amen? Is everybody with me, everybody? So here's a cool story. Genesis, uh, excuse me, not Genesis, John. We'll go to Genesis later. John chapter 21. Look in your notes and follow along with me. Here's what's happening in John 21, 18 and following. The context is this. Jesus is talking to Peter and he's saying, if you love me, feed my sheep. He says it three times. Some people believe he said it three times because he's responding to the three times Peter denied him earlier in his life and ministry. If you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. Peter's kind of getting hurt by the question. I think Jesus is trying to kind of, you know, get something home there, like kind of get something into his character, into kind of the the bones of this man. And it says in verse 18, I tell you the truth, Peter speaks. Woo, slow down there. Jesus speaking. I'm on caffeine. Yes, I am. I had a late night. Jesus speaking to Peter, I tell you the truth. (laughs) When you were young, uh, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, he's kind of telling what's coming, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to let him know what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me, follow me, Peter. Peter turned around and saw behind him the disciple Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during during the supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, Peter, follow me. So the rumor spread around the the community to the believers that this disciple he was referring to wouldn't die. But that isn't what Jesus said at all. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Now, I want you to think about this conversation that Jesus is having with Peter. Uh, He's talking to him, and he's saying, if you love me, feed my sheep. And then all of a sudden, this is the summary, he says, Peter, you're going to die a horrible death. How many would love that kind of a conversation with the Son of God, right? I mean, this is not fun. Like, why is, I mean, this is awful. Why would Jesus say that? We know as people who are reading, as people, onlookers, that Jesus always had a purpose behind everything he said, right? But, I mean, that must have been really tough and rough for Peter to be able to hear a message like that from the Son of God. But yet, here's some speculations of maybe what Jesus was trying to communicate to Peter. Perhaps Jesus was trying to forge something into Peter's character. If you love me, feed my sheep. Three times he did that. You know why? Because Peter had, at one time in his life, the fear of martyrdom. And that's why he couldn't stand up to a little girl. And so maybe Jesus was trying to get this message, you know, into him and make sure that it stuck. Jesus might be saying, you know, because you are going to be a martyr, I'm gonna, and you deny me three times, I'm going to make sure that you never deny me again. That's possible what was happening here. It could be one of the messages, but maybe another message. And I speculate or strongly believe that Jesus was dealing with something in Peter. He was dealing with comparison. He was dealing with comparison. Look back at the story and and see this again. It says, basically, and I'm summarizing the the verbiage because it's maybe hard for you to understand depending on the translation. but, But Jesus says to Peter... Peter, you're going to die a horrible death. You're going to die a horrible death. And then Peter, right when Jesus says that, turns to John the Beloved and says, Yeah, but what about him? What about him? In other words, translation is, I hope he dies a grisly death too. (laughs) And if you really want to encourage me, if it could be worse than mine, that would be awesome. (laughs) Now we laugh, but that's kind of what we do in our lives all the time. We draw these kind of comparisons in our life. We're like, yeah, that's maybe my plight, but what about him? Can it not be worse than mine? Because then I'll feel better about me because his is worse than me. Is everybody translating with me? We're continually comparing ourselves to one another. We're thinking to ourselves, I wonder if I'm as good as him. I wonder if I'm as good as her. I, I feel like I'm worse than him. I feel like I'm worse than she is. This is the kind of the two big sins that we talked about last week with comparison. The two big sins are, are you better than somebody else or are you worse than somebody else? And what's diabolical or what the devil is capable of doing sometimes is getting us sometimes in the same conversation to believe both things. Well, at least I'm not as good as, or bad, excuse me, as Pastor Mark. But you know what? <laughs> I'm definitely better than Pastor Deej. That's what the devil can cause us to conclude in our life. Speaking of pastors, I would just like to insert right here, we just added to our team and hired a new pastor. Pastor Mark McKatherine is now a staff pastor at Connect Community Church. Can you give it up? Come on, Pastor Mark. Stand up for a second. Yeah. We announced that in the first service. We're so excited about him to kind of add to the team. He's already been serving for over a year in Connect Community Church, and his wife, Julie, and five kids are so, so five kids. He loves Jesus, and he loves family, apparently. <laughs> so if you need to know about kid life, he's the guy to talk to. But this is what happens. We get into this comparison thing, right? You see, this is so common, like, the, 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 the world that I'm, I'm I'm exposed to a lot is the fitness world, you know. Just been in, been a gym rat since I was 15 years old, and I mean it's constant there. That's all it is is comparison. You don't people won't go to a gym unless there's mirrors everywhere. You know what I mean? So people can just like do the lat poses and you know and all the different. And we pretend we're not looking. You know what I mean? It's like so funny. It's like there's a mirror there, but I don't want anybody to know I'm looking at. It. Oh oh how do I look? Oh oh oh. You know what I mean? Like, give me a break. We might as well just give in. You're just like, ah, ah. yeah, you know you're all doing it. We're just comparing ourselves to ourselves. We're comparing ourselves to somebody else. We're watching somebody else compare themselves to themselves and comparing ourselves to those people as they're comparing themselves to themselves. <laughs> Woo, What did he just do there? What was that? This happens all the time. Guys who work out with weights, they're looking at the guy who's a runner, we're just saying, "You know, that guy would just blow away in the wind. The runners over here, look, I bet he can't run a mile without having a heart attack. <laughs> all the girls are being quiet. You girls do the same thing. You're like, she's got a small waist, but I bet she's got a big butt. <laughs> that's happening all the time. So Peter says this to Jesus, you know, and Jesus doesn't make it easier. You would think when, you know, when this happens, you're going to die a horrible death, that Jesus was, come here, come here. I know that's hard for you here. Come here. Let's have a big hug. Come on. Come on. Group hug. But, but Jesus doesn't do that. He says, listen, if 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 I'm gonna let him live and you die, what's that to you? Just follow me. And then Peter's like, wait a minute, he's gonna live and not die? And Jesus' like, No, I didn't say that. I just said, what's it to you if he does? What's it to you if he does? It would be like Jesus saying to you, You're going to have a life of poverty. And you know, and then what do you mean I'm gonna have a life of poverty? And then he might win the lottery. Wait a minute, he's gonna win the lottery? No, I didn't say he's going to win the lottery. I said, if he did, what's that to you? You just need to follow me. Our default and our focus is always trying to compare. Are we better? Are we worse? Are we worse? Are we better? What's all that to you, Jesus is saying? You need to focus on me. So here's kind of three things I want to give you, three realities or revelations about comparison. The first one I want to talk about is the curse of comparison. Everybody say the curse. The curse of comparison yields two different outcomes. Either you feel inferior, inferiority, or you feel superior, superiority. Either you feel insecure, or you could say you feel proud. You think you got nothing, or you think you're all that in a bag of chips, okay? That's kind of the outcomes of this curse of comparison. You compare yourself. You know, I I was in Rhode Island yesterday doing a wedding for a couple in our church, and my wife and I were kind of driving around on, on the Mesquamacate beach, and we're driving, and we kind of pulled over. I go, Honey, look at this. And I, if you went on my Instagram, you'd see it. It's pretty funny. But there was just this big house just stood nice and tall right along the beach. And then right next to it was this itty-bitty little house and a big truck. And, and I just kind of role-played a story in my mind, you know. A, a, a little boy wants to grow up and have his own home, but he can't. So mom and dad say, we'll build you a little house outside so you can be by yourself outside. and You can feel like you're a big boy. And you can have your big truck, too, you know. And, and I was just making little funny, you know, dialogues about one day, you know, you'll grow up and be a big house. But it was just this contrast. And that's what we do. Our eye immediately goes to comparison. Uh, my house isn't as good as his house. I wish I had a house like that. Well, my house is better than that person's house. My job is better than their job. My car is better than their car. These are things that we're doing. It's a curse of comparison. And when you compare, you will despair. When you compare, you're going to have to choose one way or the other, better or worse. Here's the second part of this curse. This is what happens. It produces anger towards God. (laughs) Anger. Here's why it produces anger. It's because we know that God is in control of everything. Yet when somebody else is being blessed, we're mad and we're saying, wait a minute, why is that person being blessed and I'm not being blessed? If he's so large and in charge, why is that not happened to me? And so why is he not blessing me? Why is there not favor on my life? And so we get angry at God. You sometimes will talk to somebody, and, and you'll have a conversation with them, and maybe it's a season when the economy is bad, and you're struggling within the economy, and, and your business is struggling, and, 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 and you go to this person, and you're just saying, you know, you, know, you know, things are pretty rough right now. Things are pretty tough in, in this economy right now. How's it going for you? It's going pretty good. Well, well, really? It's going pretty good. Yeah, it's going pretty good for us. And in your mind, you're thinking, that proves it. You know what? God clearly favors this person over me. I'm obviously not a spiritual. I haven't read my Bible as much or something like that. He clear. you know, what is it about me that's so bad? Come on, God. Oh. And we get angry at God. Here's the next thing that can happen sometimes within the curse is it can upgrade from anger to resentment. To resentment. Resentment towards God. Resentment towards others. And the worst extreme of this is resentment towards yourself. The ultimate extreme curse comparison is you begin to hate yourself. You begin to hate yourself. You don't like the way you are. And as a result, you can't even fulfill one of the two most important commandments in the Bible. One of the commandments of the Bible is to love your neighbor as what? Yourself. If you don't love yourself, then you hate yourself. If you hate yourself, you can't love other people. You'll end up hating people. You'll hate people. It's sad. It's sad. This is what comparison does. And the big idea, again, you have to insert this all along the way. If you compare yourself to others, you'll eventually fall into sin. All kinds of it. Anger, resentment. But if you compare yourself to God and you contrast what, what, how far away he is from you, but yet how much he loves you in spite of you, you fall into love. You can fall in love and stay in love with God. Is everybody with me? But sometimes this comparison can overwhelm us, and you think about it, you hear stories and, you know, maybe a, 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 a relative died, you know, you talk to somebody and, say, and they come to you and say, hey, my, my aunt died, it's really sad, but she left me a million bucks. You're like, really? And then you, you look at God and you're like, why can't my aunt die leave me a million bucks? Why can't you smite my aunt, almighty smiter? You know, you're like, you're laughing, but like, we think things like that, like, I don't have an it that has a million bucks. And immediately, we're getting into this, you know, we, you know, we sometimes act overly spiritual that we think these things. Here's the next, the next part of this curse. It's anger, resentment, and then it opens the door to Satan, the enemy of our soul. This is what happens. In James 3.14, it says this, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, envy is the root of comparison, by the way. If you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it is earthly, sensual. Look, it says demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that's from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality or hypocrisy. Comparison is based on the sin of envy. Envy, envy. You see this in the Old Testament. The Israelites envied Moses and Aaron. And, and you see this in the New Testament when Pilate receives Jesus from the religious leaders and Pharisees. And it basically says because of envy, they gave Jesus up to be crucified. Right there you can see in many examples in the Bible that envy opened the door to rebellion and deception. And even, even spiritual attack against our lives. When you begin to en- envy people and envy things, it opens the door. Here's the, here's the second major point. So we have the curse, now we have the cause of comparison. What causes comparison? What causes comparison in our life? Number one, it's a lack of acceptance. Acceptance of God, who God made you to be. In other words, you're saying to God, if you have this comparison sin in your life, God, I'm upset with the way you made me. I don't like the way you made me to be. Can I tell you something? Listen, no one that you're looking at that you, you some, some of us have someone's sickness. We're like, I want to be who they are. No one has the whole package. You can be looking at her and saying, man, she is perfect. She is beautiful. No, she's a jerk in some area of her life. There's something that you don't see. Nobody, God didn't give everybody the whole package. That's why he gives us a body to perfect each other. And kind of through, you know, iron sharpens iron and that healthy friendship friction make us kind of one and complete together. That's how he does it. So nobody has it all together. It's a fact. Every leader, you know, know, has a problem in their life. Every leader struggles. They just don't tweet about it. You're looking. Oh my gosh, this guy's awesome! Look at all these things he's saying. Listen, he's not tweeting out his bad days. He's only tweeting out his good days. It's the same thing you do in a dating relationship. You just put your best foot forward, but nobody's seeing your back foot. It smells. There's problems. Okay. First Corinthians 12:24 and 25 says, "But our presentable parts have no need, but God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should." Have the same care for one another. Here's what God is saying here. God sometimes will pick out someone under your nose, not inside your eye gate. In other words, there are people that God says, I'm going to give this person a gift that's going to help somebody else who needs that gift. But what happens is the enemy gets us to compare and contrast at the wrong place, the the wrong vision, the wrong focus. So in particular, he tries to get people to look at people who have a platform. And so we say things like, I, I, only, I want him to pray for me. I want her to pray for me. But meanwhile, God has put somebody right next to you, under your nose, with a gift that will help you. I could tell you story after story after story that because we won't open ourselves up and be vulnerable in relationships within the context of the body of Christ, we don't get healed because we're looking only for an exclusive few that we can see instead of opening our eyes to the few that are right under our nose. And the Bible says that the gifts that are invisible are indispensable. And that we need them in order to be healthy and grow in our relationship with God. And the reason that he wants everybody to to be a part of this process is because that's what makes us healthy and grow. The greatest addiction is, is, is being addicted to being used by God. Sanctified gifts being used by God is the greatest addiction by far. There's no addiction that. There's nothing better than being used by God. But he doesn't want just a few to be used by God. According to the scripture, he wants all to be used by God. As each part does their special work, it says in 1 Corinthians 12, the latter part of that same chapter. Are you with me, everybody? So God distributes these gifts for the profit of all, and he wants us all. But we can't say things like, I wish I had his gift. I wish I had her calling. I wish I had his anointing. I wish I could do what he does. You should be saying instead, when we get out of this comparison, God, what is my gift? God, what do you want me to do? What are the things that I'm not seeing that you want to do in and through me? Can I have an amen? amen. Here's another, here's another pr- pr- cause. It's a lack of identity. A lack of identity. We don't know who we are in Christ. We don't know what our purpose is on the planet. We don't know what we were created to do. God has, you just need to know this, he has a specific plan and calling for your life. 2 Corinthians 10 tells us this. For we dare not class ourselves. <coughs> Isn't that interesting the word that he uses, class? That's what, actually, that still happens in the church. One of the things that we want to have, <laughs> this is our, we want to have a classless church. No, we want a church with class, but we don't want to be classifying, ca- categorizing each other. We dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves, like in the mirrors at the gym, and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. When you compare yourself to yourself or you compare yourself to others, the Bible is saying, you are not wise, You are not wise. In fact, it produces foolish, earthly, sensual, and even demonic behavior as we were reading earlier. So those outcomes of comparison, they yield different fruit in our lives. Comparison yields, in one side of the equation, jealousy. Another side of the equation, envy. Jealousy, simply put, is more about people. And envy is more about things. Those are some of the fruit of comparison. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is good preaching so far. I'm getting something out of this, okay? All right, is everybody with me? So we're, we're either jealous of people and what they have, or who they are, or we're jealous, or envious of people and what they have. These are symptom signs fruit that we are eating from the wrong tree. We are living in the wrong lane. We are focused on the wrong thing. Here's the next cut. By the way, every major sin that we see In humanity Really could all go back to the Garden of Eden If you read in Genesis 3 In your own devotion You'll see what's known as the fall of man The fall of man And ultimately Some of the the major sins there All were a byproduct Of Satan getting Adam and Eve To compare themselves to God He has, you know Satan's basically saying He has something that you don't have But if you eat this fruit You will compare You will be like God Look what happened Look at the byproduct of that comparing yourself the wrong way. Amen? Are you tracking with me? Here's the next cause it's covetousness. It's a big word. It's in the Bible a lot, though. Covetousness. Covetousness is is greed and selfishness with a mask. With a mask. It's hidden, it's covert. It's basically, though, underneath the hood, it's, you know, you can feel sometimes covetous spirits. know, you could be, you could be, you could see it right in, right in uh, communion. You know, people are walking down the aisle and you can see people that are like, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, staring them upside down. And they're looking at their shoes and where they got them. And they're looking at their handbag when they're sitting down taking notes. And they're looking at their, you know, their phone case with the diamonds on it. And they're, you know, covetousness. It's sometimes, it's just, it's just selfishness and greed. It's in a mask sometimes. And, and sometimes it's more broadband. I want her call. I want, that, I want that person's anointing, that person's life. I don't want my husband. I want her husband. I don't want my wife. I want his wife. And this is, covetousness is devious. This is really strong, but it's ingratitude at the highest level with a fist in the face of God. Saying, you didn't give me what I wanted, give me what I want. I, I, I want to trade up. I want to trade in. I'm not happy with what you gave me. Colossians 3.5 says, therefore you should put to death your members which are on earth, this, ver, this horizontal level, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire. And then it says covetousness, which is idolatry. It's idolatry. Well, how is it idolatry, Pastor D? Because it's, an, an idol is something that you put in the place of God. Anything that you put in the place of God becomes an idol, becomes an idolatry. Covetousness is saying God's not first. This person is what I'm focused on. This person is what I'm looking to. And it takes the place of God and leads to sin. I want that family. I want that job. I didn't want my job. I want that house. I want this. I want that. Sometimes it's people. Sometimes it's a thing. And sometimes, no, I will say this. All the time as Christians, we want to be blessed and know the favor of God in our lives, don't we? We do, right? So, so, so listen to this. It's kind of a deep thought. But, but the reason sometimes that we're maybe not being blessed is because we're not celebrating when other people are blessed, and we have a bad attitude when other people are blessed, and that cancels payment on God being able to be a blessing in our lives and, and pour out his blessing on our lives. Maybe covetousness is keeping us from the favor and blessing of God in our lives. So we need to be good about celebrating other people's successes and rejoice in other people's blessing in their lives. Amen? Instead of saying, "How come? How, what have you done for me lately? How come you didn't bless me like you blessed him or her?" This is something we have to train into us, and we'll talk about that in this next point. The, the final point is the cure of comparison. So, so we have the cure of comparison. Now, in Romans one, this is a meaty, meaty chapter. So let me let me kind of get into it quick. It says this in Romans one twenty-one. It says. You guys following with me? Everybody with me right now? Second service. Okay. It says this, because although they knew God, stop right there. Don't read ahead yet. You can but normally, but just hang on. They knew God. Do you know God? Awesome. Five people know God. Praise the Lord, Pastor. You guys, so just good luck. Just good luck. You got five people know God in your church. All right. Do we know God? Yes or no? Okay. Okay. So, so, this, so this applies to you and me then. So whatever we're getting ready to read right now, this applies to you and me. This is an all play, okay? It says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, which we'll come back to those three things as soon as possible. And their foolish hearts were then darkened. Professing to be wise, I know what's best for me, they became fools. Remember, when you compare yourselves, you are not wise, it said earlier. And changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. And this is a little confusing, but I'll unpack it. Birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. They're just birds and beasts and, and snakes is really what that is. These are, the Bible refers to, types and shadows. It's referring to like spiritual spirits or demonic spirits. Things that they were focused on in worshiping other than God at this time. Therefore, God also, as a result, gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts. That's covetousness. That's the result of comparison in their heart. To dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So simply put, this is what happened. They took their eyes off God. They started putting their eyes on the creature and the creation. And as a result of comparison at this level, they fell into an unbelievable egregious type of sins. Really negative behaviors and base sins. If you continue to read the chapter, which I won't today, but it, it really, the things that like years ago you would have said, no way, Jose, that's like wrong. But today we live in tolerance instead of truth. And because we don't know how to find that balance of why it happened, I'll tell you why it happened. Because of comparison. We stop focusing on God. We stop glorifying God, being thankful to God, and stop renewing our mind, which are really the three things that I want to share with you. The cures to comparison, we can see right in verse 21. They they did not glorify him as God. So the first solution to overcoming this, this this comparison sin is to magnify God or to glorify God. They stopped worshiping the Creator and they stopped, they started worshiping the creation. Now, I have a phone. You guys probably all have a phone, right? In your in your, you know how you take a picture. Hopefully you know how to do that, but you take a picture. And sometimes you can get your phone on and you can flip the view so it looks at you, you know? And and we do a lot of that, don't we? (laughs) What do we call those? Selfies, Selfies, right? So we live in a selfie world instead of living in a glorified God world. We need to flip our phone spiritually. We need to turn our phone and magnify means simply to blow that up, blow that scene up. A lot of times, most of the time, what happens in our, in our thinking, what gets us living in comparison is we're flipped the phone the wrong way spiritually. It's the same thing. What's this, guys? It's a magnifying glass, right? So you guys know about this. This is what we used to do used to burn ants. <laughs> guys, come on. You feel it? You felt the anointing when I said that. Yeah, he's like fire of God. Psh. That's the way we work stuff out. You know what I mean? We get in trouble at home. We go out and burn ants to the death. Crucify him. (laughs) Greek mythology, Zeus lives. Anyway, basically that's what glorify God means. Glorify, magnify, interchangeable word. Basically what we need to do is stop glorifying or magnifying ourselves. We start magnifying God. So most of the time we're looking in a mirror magnifying ourselves or we're looking at others magnifying other people and we need to just look up. The Bible says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Colossians tells us to set our affections on things above, not on earthly things. The problem is we are looking in the wrong direction. We're spending our time magnifying, glorifying the wrong thing in our life. Can I have an amen out there? And so worship, in a sense, means to look. You need to make sure you're looking at the right things as you go forward. Not too long ago, I was listening to my pastor, and I was at a conference and In the middle of his message, he does a little segment on comparison. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be talking about the church, and I'm listening. And as I'm listening, I'm thinking, I wish I could preach like him. Oh I mean, I fell right into it right away. And, as I'm, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me like, are you listening? <laughs> it's a problem, isn't it? It's a problem. All right, here's the next thing. This next cure is be thankful. Everybody say be thankful. So the the best definition, or here's a definition of, let's say gratitude, is a grace attitude, okay? Gratitude is an attitude of grace, an attitude of grace. And the point of this being thankful thing is this, that you will never have a problem with thankfulness when you understand that nothing that you have is but for the grace of God. Can I have a stronger amen out of that one? You need to get that programmed, renewed, you know, just scripted into your heart, grafted to your soul, Velcroed to your heart. You need to realize that nothing that you have is but for the, well, I, I, there's some things I've done. No, you just responded to the grace of God. That's what you did. You responded to God's grace. And if you learn to be thankful, you will eliminate the sin of comparison. In, being grateful in gratitude is a habit. Ingratitude is a habit. You, you, you've, been, you've, been, you've been rehearsing those things. You've been marinating on those things. You've been practicing ingratitude. We need to do the same thing to reverse the curse of comparison by, by being intentionally grateful, intentionally expressing gratitude. In my home, we have uh, four children. and my wife, sometimes we get frustrated with the kids at the dinner table. We'd sit down to eat a meal, and sometimes, not all the time, they would just be like complaining about the meal right away, just right away. You know? you know, we could have given them, you know, you know how many kids don't have food at the table. We could give them the third world speech. But, but, but it, would, it would start sometimes earlier than that and get to that. You know what I mean? And sometimes my wife would get so frustrated and she'd be like, "Push, hit the table. She goes, that's it. We're going to go around the horn. That means everybody's going to participate. And one by one, you're going to tell your sibling ten things that you, that you like about them and you're grateful for. Now, we will always start with the girls to give Devin extra time. <laughs> and so we'd start with the young girls, and be, oh, you know, what? you know, Devin is so handsome and he's so funny, and they could just they just go through that, and, and then okay, now do it for your siblings, be a little bit slower with the sisters, and by the end of that, you know, we get to Devin, and it was kind of like, you know, sun's gonna be up pretty soon, and <laughs> and uh, but we'd finally get through those ten different things that you got to say to your to your to your family, and the whole the whole atmosphere would change. Everything went from compare this way to to gratitude and and grateful for what God has given us this way. And you can get up every day. You should get up every day and you should express your gratitude to God. You should say, God, thank you for the way you made me. Now, I I don't recommend that you do this first thing in the morning while you're looking in the mirror. (laughs) I was doing this message, and, and I was practicing, and I was in the mirror, and I didn't have a shirt on, and I just had a huge breakfast, and I don't even want to tell you how much I ate, but sometimes I have problems with excessive eating. And, and I'm looking in the mirror, and I'm like, thank you for the way you... God, could you just have made this a little bit smaller? And just as I said that, God spoke right to me right away. He says, son, I didn't make that. You made that. I made it so it could stretch, and you wouldn't explode, okay? So... You need to be thankful for that. You need to be thankful. (laughs) You need to be thankful. Okay, here's the last point. This is the last one under the cure, all right? Renew your mind. Everybody say, renew your mind. The Bible says they became futile in their thoughts. Why? Because they set their mind on earthly things, not on heavenly things. I don't know if it's in your notes, but Colossians 3.2, again, is a great scripture for that. And so you need to get the word of God hidden in your heart that you might not sin against God. Psalm 119.11, another great verse to remember. So, so listen, listen, listen. This is going to be like a little holy spanking right here, okay? Don't take this the wrong way. But how are you doing? Don't answer this out loud. How are you doing? on internalizing God's word? How are you doing? Are you, have, have you been spending time in God's word? You know? Just, just sometimes when when we get instruction from God or from the Holy Spirit, sometimes it's like one of those Pillsbury dough pokes. Like, oh, oh, I, oh, that's a good point, God. Other times it's like, ah! You know what I mean? But how many know sometimes we need a little no pain, no gain kind of wake-up call? I'm telling you guys, if you want to deal with the sin of comparison, you have got to get in his word. Like, Hide it in your heart. Like, read it every day. Like, be diligent about getting in His Word. Say, I don't even know where to begin. Hey, listen, we made that so simple for you. We've got a one-year Bible right online. Just go to our website. And just, just follow that. Follow that. Talk to somebody. We'll help you. There's plenty of people that may struggle with reading God's Word. I always fall asleep when I read the Bible. Well, fall asleep reading the Bible then. And then just let's back up and just say, maybe the enemy doesn't want you to read something. Maybe you should read it during prime time instead of at like 1230 at night before you go to bed. Like, when you want the word of God, like Job said, more than my necessary food. He will give you food for your soul that will keep you from all the problems that are dealing with your, and in, in, in overcoming your faith. Amen? It'll help you a ton. This is good. Amen? Amen? I want to remind you where we started in John chapter 21, where Peter was saying to Jesus, what about him? What about John? What about John? Right? He had a big problem with comparison. We can see that very clearly, can't we? Well, I believe that Peter got over the sin of comparison. And my encouragement to you is if Peter got over it, you can too. Say, how do you know Peter got over it? Well, just think about this. Eventually he writes, and we won't look at it this morning, but eventually he writes in 2 Peter, he basically says, I'm going to Rome, and I'm going to die the way Jesus said I would. Imagine, when he first heard the words from Jesus that he was going to die, he was, it was 30 years before he said what he said in 2 Peter. For 30 years, he carried the weight of, I'm going to die a horrible death. Imagine that. But in that 30-year process of dealing with this comparison sin, he began to change and be transformed in such a way that he would never compare himself to his Savior ever the wrong way or other people the wrong way ever again. Theologians and historians record that Peter was crucified somewhere in 67 or 68 AD. And, and he was crucified upside down because he chose to be crucified upside down, They were gonna crucify him just like his savior, but he said, I cannot, I am not worthy to die the same way my savior did. I cannot compare in any way to my Lord and savior, Jesus Christ. Even in his death, he didn't want to compare to Jesus. He basically said, don't compare me. I don't compare. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I think this message is an all play. I think it speaks to me, those of you who are listening online, those of you who are watching on cable, I encourage you to participate in this, this response right now as well. It's one thing to hear the word, it's quite another to respond to it. I think the Holy Spirit points things out in us, not to make us feel bad, but to remove the stumbling blocks in our lives. To keep those veils from, and scales from staying on our eyes in our relationship with God. Because comparison can cause us to fall into sin if we compare ourselves to others But if we compare ourselves to God, we can fall in love. If you're here today and you've never established that intimate fellowship and relationship with Jesus Christ, if you don't know the love of God for yourself, He wants to know you. He wants to be in relationship with you. But what He's done is He created you in such a way where you have to respond and you have to come to Him and you have to open your heart to Him. And if that's you and you know that God is knocking on the door of your heart and you're here. And you've never made that connection before. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. Everybody's eyes are closed. This is a holy moment for those that are listening. But if God is knocking on the door of your heart, nothing compares to the love of God. There's nothing you could get in the world. There's no Friday night party. There's no weekend warrior experience. There's There's nothing you could have. Our own that can compare to knowing that God loves you and that your identity is found in him. It's not what you have, but who you know. And who you know can change not only this life, but your eternity forever. You want to know that? It's available right now. And Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. If that's you and you you want to receive him today and pray with me, would you raise your hand good and high and say, that's me? I don't want to leave before having that confidence. God bless you. Yes, yes. Thank you. Good and high, so I don't miss you. I don't want to miss you. Thank you, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir, over there. That's awesome. If you're listening online, please respond. You, you just raise your hand right there in your seat, right there at your computer, right there at your couch. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Those that raise your hand and everybody else, would you join me in this prayer? Because this is such a, you've been here. Many of you have been here. Maybe you need a refreshing in your walk with God and your relationship with God. But for those for the first time, everybody say this. Jesus, save me. Come into my life. I, I truly believe what this pastor is saying to me. Nothing compares to relationship with you. I invite you into my life to be my Savior and be my Lord. Change me from the inside out so I can love because you first loved me. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen. Let's give the Lord the biggest hand clap. Let's thank Him for His love and for His goodness. Amen. Come on, Pastor Mark. Awesome. Awesome.